Welcome to California Groundbreakers, which focuses on the place that starts trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done nationwide and around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. We've created a podcast series called This Changes Everything, which focuses on what California will look like in the post-pandemic future. We're talking with California groundbreakers about how they see the Golden State changing for the better or for the worse, or still to be determined, as we move out of shutdown. We want to give thanks to our donors, like John and Francis Taws, who funded the production of this episode. If you like what you hear, please help us continue by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support Us link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. This pandemic has been a wild ride for everyone, and especially for young millennials and Generation Z. These teens and 20-somethings have been dealing with today's turbulent times during some pivotal life stages. Gen Zers are at a point in their lives when forging social relationships is central to shaping their identity, something difficult to do during quarantine and remote learning. And adulthood for young millennials in their mid-20s and early 30s is still a struggle. Many of them have graduated into the chaos of the coronavirus recession, putting them on track to have major money problems. They've become the most unemployed generation, and many are still living with their parents. On the other hand, what happened in 2020 made many young people far more aware of politics and activism, and their generation is set to take over the economy in just a decade. What are the specific ups and downs they're going to be facing between now and then, and how are they going to handle them? We're asking those questions to three people, a Gen Zer, a young millennial, and a researcher who studies their generation's culture, habits, and lives. Isha Clark is an 18-year-old from Oakland who co-founded Youth vs. Apocalypse, an activist group fighting against environmental racism and injustice. Alex Lee is a brand new state assembly member representing District 25, which covers parts of Silicon Valley and the East Bay. At age 25, Lee is California's youngest state legislator to hold office in more than 80 years. Jean Twenge is a professor of psychology at San Diego State University who researches generational differences, and she is the author of more than 140 books and research papers about today's youth and young adults. Join us as they talk about what the future holds for California's millennials and Generation Z, and how the decisions and choices they make going forward could affect all of us. Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Richardson. I am Executive Director of California Groundbreakers, and thank you for tuning in today. The pandemic, ah, the, always the pandemic. It may stick out as a uniquely disruptive event in the lives of most of us, but for young people, it might just be the cherry on top of a lifetime of disruptive events. So when I talk about young people, I'm talking about firstly, Generation Z, the newest bunch who were born from what I'm seeing in online searches starting in 1997. So the oldest Gen Zers are now turning 24 years old and the millennials who make up the majority of the U.S. population today. But apparently, there are young millennials who range between age 25 and 30-something, and then there are their older peers, born around 1980, 1985, and entering their 40s, who are now getting called the brand new term of geriatric millennials, which, based on my Twitter feed, is getting a lot of backlash. So being a Gen Xer who is older than 40, I can tell you that life starts getting really good at 40, and there's plenty to like about that age range, so don't knock it. 
But the age range I'm talking about now, youth and young adults, have come of age during a series of seismic events. Those span from 9-11 and the Great Recession, the Sandy Hook school shooting and March for Our Lives, the threats of climate change and the rise of movements like Me Too and Black Lives Matter. And they've absorbed a lot of these events in a visceral way that older people like me hadn't previously experienced through their smartphones and social media, which has informed their beliefs and behaviors in some ways and impacted them in several ways. So I was wondering if because young people have come of age during these events I just mentioned, whether the pandemic and the death of George Floyd and resulting events and election 2020 and the vaccine have actually changed them much in terms of behavior or outlook for the future, or if it sent everything into hyperdrive or maybe something in between. So I brought together three Californians who I've read a lot about lately because of the cool things they're doing and who I thought could answer my questions because they're either young adults or they study young adults in depth and detail. So let me introduce them here. First, we have Isha Clark. She's an 18-year-old from Oakland and one of the founders of Youth vs. Apocalypse, a diverse group of young climate justice activists working together to fight for a livable climate and an equitable, sustainable, and just world. Alex Lee is a newly elected legislator who represents Assembly District 25, which covers parts of Silicon Valley and the East Bay. And at age 25, Alex is California's youngest legislator, with many media outlets covering his election, naming him as our state's first Gen Z legislator. And also we have Jean Twenge, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University, who researches generational differences. She has written hundreds of papers, articles, and books on the topic. And her latest book is called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and What That Means for the Rest of Us. So the first question I wanted to ask you, uh, Isha and Alex, you can decide who goes first, is uh, a couple, if you can give me a couple of words, I guess, or characteristics or traits that you think apply to you and your peers right now. Um, I guess as you've grown up basically, or what characteristics or or traits do you think apply to to you and your peers right now as you've been experiencing this pandemic? Um, in terms of like things that you just feel have, uh, you have grown up with and have really been emphasized even more as you've been living through the past 14 months of coronavirus, George Floyd's murder, election 2020, the vaccine. Um, what have you noticed you that has uh, made you stronger or different or feel something more than you had pre-pandemic in the past year and a half? Alex? Well, certainly it's like isolating the pandemic, especially in the early stages where people could not see each other, could not see their loved ones or their families. But also at the same time, as we figured out what we could do with and what we couldn't do with, um, I think we learned a lot about what old systems we didn't have to have around, right? The classic thing being, um, you know, what meeting, in-person meeting could just be an email or could have been a Zoom meeting, could have been a phone call. That's a classic micro thing, right? But also the things that percolate up to like public participation. I have a bill right now that says you should have, continue to have the option in, in addition to being in person, your city council meetings, your county supervisor meetings, to still offer call-in options, Zoom options, whatever it is, because there's real barriers to people still participating under democracy. And we've learned from the Zoom era, unfortunately right now, that there are more people who are able to be activated and get interested in issues. So those are things that we've learned that, so we've learned during the pandemic, there are things that are utterly broken and we can do without them. And how do we fix and build upon those those new things for the new future? 
Isha, what about you? What have you noticed has been something that's really come out uh, as a characteristic or, or trait uh, for you and others that you know this past year and a half? Yeah, I mean, I think this generation is badass <laughs> and <laughs> hilarious and, you know, like just deeply wise and intelligent um, and very capable. I think, you know, and adaptable, like, Generation Z has experienced, you know, sort of like, <laughs> it's definitely been a long time coming, but like in our lifetime, there has been so many crises and so many experiences of this societal breakdown. And still we are, you know, on the front lines organizing, you know, as assembly member Alex mentioned, like, creating new systems and figuring out ways to, you know, build better and be better. And that is not something that is easy to do as you're, you know, growing up as a young person, trying to be a young person and trying to live life. And I think that this generation has sacrificed a lot for both our present, but also our future and for future generations. Um, so yeah, I'm very proud to be in Gen Z. Agree, <laughs> we are badass and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a good that's a good personality to have. I did want to ask, and I'm going to ask this first to Jean about mental health because this is something that a lot of us obviously have been um, uh, facing mental health issues during the pandemic. I thought it felt like um, I've read a lot about young people uh, bringing the issue of mental health care and mental health needs into the spotlight in a way that it hasn't been done by like my, my generation, Gen X or, or others. And I was just wondering, Jean, in your, your years of researching, you know, what do you see about mental health with uh, millennials and Gen Z, Gen Z and the way they, they, they're, they look at it and view it. Um, and, and if anything has changed, uh, you know, recently about that in your, in your view. Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing about mental health trends is just how much more common um, depression and self-harm and anxiety are. So those are the negative trends. The positive trend has certainly been that uh, Gen Z in particular has brought so much more attention to mental health and to access to care for, for mental health and taking away a lot of the stigma that used to surround these issues. Um, there's been a lot of progress in that area. In terms of the pandemic, we don't know yet. Uh, really what the impact has been on mental health. There's been a lot of speculation. Um, there's been limited data though. And the little solid data we have has actually strangely been kind of encouraging. So the CDC just released um, suicide rate statistics and it was actually down for 2020. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed, maybe that'll hold and um, that we'll see that for young people as well. And maybe in the depression data that will come out um, later on. And Isha and Alex, I'm wondering, you know, personally, and then also with people you know, is is mental health something that has been a focus or priority more so now than ever before? How how are, how do you view um, mental health care and, and needs? Uh, if any, if you view it any differently, you know, this year, I'm interested to see, <laughs> you know, when the statistics are finalized, what they say about this year because. In my personal experience, um, it's been rough. Like, 
this generation, and I mean, like all human beings, we're not meant to be in isolation. We're not meant to be separate from one another. We're not meant to, you know, not be able to touch each other or see each other's full face. Like, you know, as, as living beings on this planet, that's just like not what our nature is, you know? And so that's caused a lot of difficulties. Um, and on top of that, like, you know, teenagers and young people are just always experiencing so much anyway. So it's just sort of multiplied the, the hard things about growing up. Um, and so I've watched a lot of my friends um, and even before that. But, you know, I do think that there is this really powerful um, I think almost like reclamation of humanness and like the right to feel good and to like be full and to not sacrifice yourself um, for whatever it is you think you're supposed to be sacrificing yourself for, you know? Um, and I think there is this new focus on self-care and self-love um, and again, like I haven't been around since before my time, so I don't know what it was like before. I do feel that in that, in this time, there's like, we're going beyond this superficial idea of it's like, you take a bath and you do a mask and you get your nails done and like, you know, that kind of stuff. And all of that is valid. Like, I'm not trying to knock that. And that's definitely a, a great part of self-care. But I think it's really about like being with ourselves, sitting with ourselves, giving ourselves time to just be um, and to like fill up our cup and to go outside and, you know, get in, get out into nature and all of these things. Um, I think that's something powerful that this generation has done. I wanted to ask you, Alex, I'm going to start with you and Isha, um, you can chime in after that, about uh, politics and activism, because obviously election 2020 just happened. And there was so much uh, attention about how young people got involved in a way that maybe they hadn't before in previous elections and just being very more politically involved and aware. Uh, and you two obviously are uh, involved in this on a daily basis um, as st a state legislator and then head of Youth versus Apocalypse. And I thought you two were very notable as well, um, making headlines. I mean, obviously, Alex, as an assembly member, passing pro very progressive bills uh, from the get-go since you've been in office. Um, and then uh, maybe getting some pushback from older uh, Democrats uh, uh, because you're young, I'm wondering. And then Isha, you were notable because there was a famous conversation with Senator Dianne Feinstein that went viral back in 2019 about getting her to endorse the Green New Deal relationship, the, re the Green New Deal resolution, excuse me, in Congress. And the way that she talked to a lot of the, the young people there, people felt condescending. And I think you had you had said, you know, why aren't you working for the people who voted for you? And when she found out you were 16, she said, well, you didn't vote for me. So I was wondering in your experience, when you're trying to make things uh, happen um, in politics and activism, trying to get things done in a different way, but you still have to work with people who've been there, done that. How has that been? Uh, what's that relationship like for better, for worse? And just, you know, advice that you have for other young people who were like, wanting to do similar stuff, but have to work with other people of other generations. 
how about you, Alex? You should. That was you in that viral clip thing, or not? It's, it's also <laughs> reductive to say viral clip, but like that interaction, that was you. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, I I love that. I remember seeing that back then. Um, but honestly, that so huge respect for that. But that is literally my job now. So I was elected in 2020 uh, during this huge wave of, I guess you could say, young people. I just think people in general who got more activated and more engaged because they saw injustice right before their eyes. And but that is the story of so many of our oppressed communities for so long. But it's luckily, at least I think, awakened a lot of things. And I think if a silver lining of the pandemic is really uh, maybe if there was a pandemic, people weren't at home and people weren't glued to their screens as much as we now are, maybe that would not have culti- captivated as much. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think coming into office at this point in time, so I'm a first time elected at the age of 25 as a state legislator representing half a million people. Um, certainly I've worked in state politics before, so it's not like new to me, but um, to do it during a global pandemic and crises of every sort that were happening. I mean, last year, think about it, it was obviously the nation rising up against uh, injustice. There was obviously the pandemic. In the Bay Area, we had the orange skies to remind us how severe climate change is and the real acute problems there are. So all the problems that our generation have inherited, we certainly did not create it. And certainly many generations before us did not single-handedly create them ourselves. Create, create themselves either, but we have inherited the strong responsibility to fix them. And that means we have the hard and unenviable task of taking on huge systems and completely dismantling them and completely rebuilding them. Because if we continue to exploit the earth, the earth will obviously not be inhabitable. If we continue to let people with power exploit those without power, that's what's going to happen. So when I bring bills like to ban corporate contributions, and obviously corporations range from any everything from big tech to big oil, uh, they obviously get very upset. Uh, they don't want to lose that influence. They don't want to lose that power. And even when we introduce modest things like a small tax on the ultra wealthy and billionaires to pay for investments down the road for everyone, they also get upset. But these are all small compromise solutions as we see it to fix the long outstanding problems that have existed for far too long that have allowed uh, these issues to, to get as bad as they are today. And we know that if we don't do all we can right now in our lifetime, then you know it's not gonna look so great uh, after all. So really there is no incentive to not go down swinging as hard as you can and try. Because I think also in politics and even in the exchange, right? You hear people like, I know what I'm doing. I know how this job works. This is reality. But they have, they're perpetuating culture that only nibbles away at issues and they pat themselves on the back and say, we did something, but you didn't. Because you know people like Diane Feinstein, you know, this is no, uh, th- yeah, but look, has been in office so long, longer than both of us have been alive. So maybe combined, me and Isha combined together, um, I think for so long that, you know, there are culpable in it. And even I think about it as a politician and as an elected official, I am culpable in the amount of change and progress we do. Because ultimately this is a job, right? And we are doing it for our communities. And if they don't like what I'm doing or they don't think we're making enough progress, that reflects on my job performance. And I think it's imperative that a job like this, we have to be doing all we can to fix the problems. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more episodes of This Changes Everything, literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreakers supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on the right-hand side of our podcast page on SoundCloud 
that's at soundcloud.com slash californiagroundbreakers, or click on the donate tab of our homepage of our website at californiagroundbreakers.org. And if you have questions to ask about how California will change in post-pandemic times, or you want to suggest a topic to cover, or an expert to interview for an episode of This Changes Everything, email us at info at californiagroundbreakers.org and give us a few details so we can get in touch. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well. Gene, I wanted to ask you now about uh, what you've seen and what you're seeing in terms of economic and job issues uh, for Gen Z and millennials. It just seems like uh, there's been the Great Recession, and that did a big number on on millennials. And then now there's this pandemic um, uh, economy, however that's going to go. I was just curious to see what you have seen in the past and how that ties into now about um, how young people view jobs and having careers and having work-life balance and maybe now how or how they view their prospects for having a job, having a career and having a work-life balance. What do you, what do you uh, see? Well, the pandemic, especially in the first few months, you know, had the largest impact economically on our youngest workers, um, just be, given the industries that they were working in. So they, there was, you know, this such a huge um, increase in, in unemployment. We're, we are coming out of that. And so we have to look toward the future and what working life is going to be like after the pandemic. And I think one of the main things that's going to happen is more people are going to want to work from home. There's a recent poll that showed actually 90% of Gen Z and millennials say they want to keep working from home. And then a lot of their older generation bosses expect them to come back to the office. So I think we're going to have a lot of these discussions going on about what work is going to look like. Um, and it, there's going to be some intergenerational conflict there because, you know, just like Alex was saying, you know, not all meetings have to be in person. You know, we can find some ways around this where maybe we can have a hybrid model. We do need to see each other in person sometimes, but that there's efficiencies involved in using the technology. And I think, uh, you know, Gen Z is at the forefront of that and pressing for that, which I think is going to bring some really good changes. And last question I have that ties into that. I'm going to direct this to Alex and, and Isha. Um, millennials and Gen Zs, which you're part of, now make up more than half of the U.S. population. And so that inevitably means that you will be in control over the economy. You know, your how you spend money and what you want to spend it on is, is going to influence a lot of things. Uh, you'll be coming up into uh, taking over seats of uh, power in um, the private sector and the government, as Alex is already starting to do. Um, your thoughts and beliefs and how you view things will change things like how businesses and government will view uh, things. I was just wondering, you know, what do you want other generations to know, younger and older, about how you're going to handle those positions of power that you're inevitably going to have? How do you think that you will um, use that, uh, those responsibilities and that control that you will have of, of power of the purse, uh, power of, um, of the voice, uh, because you're such a large and influential group already? Um. You know, I think the first thing is in every single generation, it is the young people who are pushing the change, who are pushing our society towards, you know, 
a more progressive status quo. And that's been, you know, throughout history. And so I think the same thing is happening now. And I really believe that our generation understands, you know, like um, Alex was touching on a little bit earlier, that the problem is the way that we function in our society. You know, it's not these individual acts or systems. It's like that our foundation is devaluing life, is exploiting life, people, the planet. And that is why we are in this moment that we were, that we're in with all of this societal breakdown, because we have that unsustainable foundation. And I think our generation knows that we can't continue to live that way, because if we do, then none of us will survive quite literally, you know, like we see one of the manifestations of that foundation is climate change. And so if we don't drastically shift those behaviors and start dismantling the systems, you know, of white supremacy and colonialism and economic exploitation that continue that practice of devaluing and exploiting life, then we won't survive. And so I think that is what this generation is going to bring. We're going to bring, you know, humanity and compassion and respect for life and the planet um and you know try to create a, a society in which all oh i think we lost her there um so alex l last word on that topic i'm going to give to you i'll just say you are already seeing the products of uh gen z millennial and even the generation right under gen z coming into fruition of, of demographic, of economic and political power. This is the beginning of it. And how I always tell folks is, you know, you're seeing, a, I think, from, from the lens of historically of America, there is a lot of progress that's being made and it's quite going to be quite quick in the culture, uh, given that we are a snail place, snail's pace in general. But I, I always tell people this is like in California, especially the people of California, by and large, are very progressive. They want progress. They want human-centered economies and all these great things, uh, but politics for a long time has not treated that way. So what, but you see it's interesting is that co-option of it, right? Because now, now more and more you see corporations that celebrate the humanist values. You see even the conservative ballot measures prey upon and co-op language that helps people of color, that helps low-income people. So everything is moving in direction. So there's an adaptation shift, acknowledge it, right? Because we know from elections, we know from ballot measures, we know from everything that progressivism is the future. It is where our people are going and that's what they wanna see because they have witnessed systems of exploitation far too long. Um, so you're seeing just the beginning of that. And as more young people, right now there are young people in this generation come into positions of power, I think you're gonna see that, that realize even more radically because right now it's kind of, I think, window dressing in a lot of ways, but uh, now it's going to be real and tangible. And then you will see big, big systematic changes just like uh, you're talking about. Well, it's going to be very exciting to see what you what you do and how you shape the future for all of us. So, uh, Alex and Isha, I appreciate your time. And Professor Jean as well, thank you for giving your insight. And uh, have a great Memorial Day weekend, everyone. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers, This Changes Everything, Episode 10, which was recorded on May 28, 2021. Thanks to Isha Clark, Alex Lee, and Jean Twangy for taking the time to talk with us. Special thanks again goes to our donors, John and Francis Taz, for funding the production of this episode. 
Also, thanks to Nate Graham and Caleb Clark for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these difficult times, please make a donation and support our efforts to produce informative and inspiring conversations about what Californians should expect in the post-pandemic future. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on upcoming podcast episodes, events, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org 